Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast from the Get the Knack podcast studio in Ocean Shores, Washington. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I am joined by my very good friend, my old Navy buddy, Chris Ingalls. Chris, how the hell are you? Jerry, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing really well. Now, it's been about nine months since we did a Get the Knack podcast. Not only that I did one, but since you've been on. So uh, we got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. You know, politics are crazy as ever. Uh, you've turned into Bob Vila. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's it's just insane. All I do know is I have a Founders KBS chocolate cherry stout in front of me and okay. and a glass of a dram of Glenlivet 1824 Founders Reserve Scotch. So I'm ready to go. Nice, nice. I actually, it's funny, a few hours ago, um, like late, uh, probably around 6 o'clock my time, I accidentally drank a stout. Um, I, I normally don't like stouts. I was at a friend's house and he's like, go grab a beer out of my beer fridge if you want one. I did. And I didn't realize it was a stout and I started drinking. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not just going to like say, hey, I don't want to finish this. So I just like, you know, took one for the team. Um, but and? right now, and, and, and what, and what am I drinking now? No, well, how was it? I, I, I tell you, I don't like stouts. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, so you're not a convert after that. No, I mean, I've, I've had them before and I've never, it's not like I had one 10 years ago and I'm like, oh, actually I kind of like them now. I mean, I've every once in a while I'll have one, you know, cause maybe if it's like the only thing available or whatever. And I just like, I haven't acquired a taste. I don't know what it is. I'm, you know, and you know me, I'm an IPA guy. That's I know. Thing. And so, so right now I am uh, drinking a uh, Lord Hobo boom sauce double ipa one of my standbys and uh and you mentioned glenn livet I, I i think you may know the fact that I've, I've kind of started to sort of branch out into spirits lately and mm-hmm. i did get a bottle of glenfiddich um tw- 12 i think yeah what'd you think of it it's good it's good i mean you know it's an acquired taste i think i think you know scotch is not really necessarily in my wheelhouse but i'm learning and uh it i it it tasted like it probably like it should taste you know i think it was it was you know kind of warm and fuzzy and uh um you know looking forward to doing some more exploring in that area but i did really enjoy what i've had so far good and i'm happy to help with the recommendations of course as usual okay of course Uh, and a lot of times with scotch it it has to do with how much money you're willing to spend right how much well yeah you can you gotta you gotta find the sweet spot i mean i'm not gonna get something you know, you and I had talked about the, you know, the, 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 the problems inherent with like the blended uh, types and, and, and all that. And, um, uh, you know, if you're going to go with like a uh, single malt, you know, you, you just, it's a matter of how much you're willing to spend. Do you want to get the 15 year, the 25 year or whatever, or do you want to scale it down a little bit? And that's, that's what I decided to do. I think the 12 year is a nice, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's not like over the top in terms of like the expense. It's almost like an everyday, right? So, yeah. um, it, the 1824 Founders Reserve from uh, Total Wine and Alcoholics Are Us is somewhere <laughs> in between thirty and thirty five dollars a bottle. So you can yeah. you can stomach that. But here in Washington, the problem is the tax. Anything over right. a pint is ridiculously taxed here. So you really got to get outside of where you live and get to a Total Wine, or else you're paying through the nose for spirits. Beer prices are okay. Um, and with the weather the way it is, I can drink stouts and porters around here year round. So yeah. uh, that makes me happy. 
but uh, but no, it's it's coming up on spring and summer festival season. Obviously, as you know, um, I'm uh, back in the uh, radio disc jockey business, hosting yep. three shows a week on KOSW ninety one point three FM. And one of the reasons I got the gig was this podcast. Really? Yeah, I sent uh, I sent a demo and and my resume and an email, and they listened to the podcast. They were like, "We got to have this guy." So, you know. All good things, right? Yeah. And what's great about it is it, it really reminds me of the time when we were disc jockeys together in Armed Forces Radio because the formats are similar. The setup is similar. Yep. And the uh, the audience is probably a lot of ex-military. So uh, it's a lot of fun because I can relive those days, play a lot of the music you and I like on my Saturday night show. Uh, right. And uh, it's all classic alternative. And then on Thursdays, lately I've been playing a lot of 80s music. Um, but, you know, I can play 60s pop and rock. I can play 70s, uh, you know, hard rock if I want. I can do whatever I want with the, the Thursday show. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, we talk, uh, we we don't do commercials. We do reads. We do PSAs like we did back in the day. So it's, it's very, very similar. Oh, nice. Yeah, very similar. Um, you know, stuff like Don't Shop When You're Hungry and, uh, you know, all of the all of the old, remember the old uh, AFRTS oh, yeah. standbys? <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, you know, we have some of those, too. Like, there's one narrated by Gary Sinise about veterans. There's, there's <laughs> stuff about Wounded Warrior Project. There's uh, stuff about autism. There's all kinds of stuff, and it is really, really informative. Uh, and then we promote, you know, we do have underwriters, uh, so I wouldn't call right. them, you know, advertisers, but, you know, we, we do have sponsors sponsors and um so we promote them and but we are involved in just about every festival there is around here we have a presence we dj we play music i just did one last weekend called the razor clam festival and you can actually go dig for your own razor clams around here oh okay so we did that with some friends of ours angie went with them and dug up some razor clams we actually ate them and they were pretty good so okay you know i'm not i'm not quite off the grid yet um, hunting and fishing for my own food, but <laughs> <laughs> not yet. You're not there yet. No, no I'm not bare yeah. grills yet. Um, right, right, like, right. Like you've and turned you... into Bob Vila, but you know. Yeah. Well, if you and if you want someone to do uh, some PSAs on OPSEC, I think Dave Sawyer could probably be uh, taken out of retirement uh, because it actually ties up two out of lines. Yeah, Remember and you that? know we're yes, <laughs> yes, and we are out of snow snake season right now. So oh, okay. yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You same, same here, same here. I think we're out of the woods, but I, I, I'm hearing some rumors that there might be some sleet mixed with rain tomorrow, which is sort of like the last gasp of winter. So, um, you know, I think after that though, hopefully it'll be, you know, I, you know me, I don't mind the snow. I'm a, I'm a winter guy, but, uh, I'm, I'm okay with it in moderation. Um, you know, as a homeowner with a driveway, it's sort of like, you know, I only, I can only take so much of it. Fair. And we didn't get nearly as much snow here this year as we did last year. Right. I was happy for the white Christmas and everything else. It was like a sure. sign that we moved to the right place. So didn't get nearly as much snow. We've gotten a little bit here and there and some of it has stuck and I'm still happy with the deer. I'll never get tired of seeing the deer. Crazy story though. I was out for uh, an exercise walk one day and I was on my way back and about three quarters of a mile from the house, a, a big black bear ran in front of me top speed across the street and into some some bushes and some hedges uh i had to be maybe i don't know 100 feet from the thing and Mm -hmm. and this was broad daylight and all the people who were out working in their driveways working in their yards everybody stopped and we were like oh 
It's a bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that doesn't happen during the day. They'll come at night and go through your trash, but you don't see them during the day like that. Yeah. So I've seen bald eagles. I've seen an owl. I've seen a coyote, uh, but mostly raccoons and deer. So, you know. But it, now you are you are out you are out there, aren't you? We are on the edge. We are uh, yeah. we are as far west. Uh, not really. I mean, if you go up the coast and get into like Port Angeles and Forks and all that, that's technically west of us. But I mean, we are on the edge of the continent. So yep, twenty two miles of uninterrupted beach and coastline. You can drive on the beach here. You can get stuck on it too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a price you pay. It is a price you pay for living here. You're listening to the Get the Neck Podcast. I'm Jerry Knack, and I'm joined by my good friend, Chris Ingalls. Now, Chris, you and I, for several years now, have discussed at length the books we're into, right? And we talk books because we want our friends, our family, people we know to read. We really do pick up a book and read. And, you know, all this stuff you hear about in Florida and some other places about banning books, uh, I have a real problem with that. My, uh, I have a room here with, with my library in it uh, with 250 books. I have books here in my, my home office slash podcast studio. Uh, I have a lot of nonfiction in this room and, and mo- all my fictions in the other room. I, I couldn't imagine a life in a house without books. And mm-hmm. whether I read them or not, I like being surrounded by them. I'll go spend hours in a bookstore. I'll go to, I have a library card for the library here. Um, so we talk about the books that we read and you and I are inconsistent at best when it comes to yes. how often and how many books we read. But we do set a goal each year of reading more than we did the year before. Yep. I read over 30 books at the height of COVID. I was out of work and obviously we were locked down and I made a real dent in my TBR pile only to add to it. Of course. Uh, of course, as, as you do, as you do. Um, and you know, each year we, we make it a point. And so I'll let you go first because you're ahead of me this year, but, uh, I am. what, what tripped your trigger and what are you reading? Actually, you know, it's, there's a couple of different things that started it off. One of the, one of the things is I have, I wouldn't necessarily call this cheating, but it definitely gives me the advantage this year. A lot of the books that I've read so far this year have been on the shorter side, usually around the 300 page mark, which is, you know, a, a bit shorter than average for a novel. And so, um, I don't, it didn't necessarily intend to go that way, but that's kind of what happened. I was, I was drawn to books that were a little bit shorter. And as a result, I kind of plowed through them a little quicker. Um, one of the things that I did was I discovered quite by chance, an author who, who has about a half a dozen books out already. And a lot of them are on the shorter side. So I kind of plowed through about four of those. Um, the, the author's name is Otessa Moshvag and she is, um, um, kind of postmodern, a little bit experimental, but um, one of the books that she read that uh, she wrote that I read uh, was a, a book called Eileen, which is this really fantastic sort of noir type of, uh, book that takes place in the early '60s and um, bit of a sort of a kind of a murder, sort of like a crime thriller, um, and just it was just made into a movie. Um, but really, really fantastic. And then I read some other books by her too. My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which is about this woman who lives in Manhattan and is attempting to, she's sort of um, independently wealthy and she attempts to um, (coughs) uh, 
uh, spend an entire year sleeping, which is kind of a weird uh, concept, oh. but the <laughs> kind of a, a weird, funny kind of, but you know, the woman takes a lot of drugs and it's, 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 it's hard to explain, but it's quite entertaining. And then um, she also wrote a great short story collection, which is called Homesick for Another World. I'm very drawn to, to short story collections. I don't know about you, but oh, I, yeah. I, um, I, I, and I, and I read another one by um, a Japanese writer named um, Hiromi Kawakami, which is called The Ten Loves of Nishino. And that sort of ties into what I think you may already know that I've been sort of doing a lot of in the last couple of years is, is um, uh, Japanese authors. Um, oh, yeah. And there's that one. There was a book by uh, Sakaya Murata called Earthlings, um, and I'm always I'm always interested in anything by Haruki Murakami. And I finally read um, a book of his that I've been meaning to read for a while called After Dark, which is a book that takes place over one overnight sort of eight hour period in in uh, Tokyo. Um, so kind of a noir element to that as well. Um, so. There hasn't been any real common thread in the books that I've been reading so far this year, but I am on my 12th right now when it's, it's, it's only like late March. So I'm pretty impressed with that. And I know it's all about quality, not quantity, but, um, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of the stuff that I've been reading lately has been kind of on the shorter side, but really powerful books. I think everything I've read so far this year, I, I would recommend. And, um, currently, I am about halfway through. This is not a, one of the shorter books. I'm I'm on a long book now. I'm on about a 600 and something page book by Murakami, and it's uh, called The Wind Up Bird Chronicle, which I have attempted to read a couple of times in the past, but I'm sort of over the halfway mark. So I think I am going to see this one through. And um, again, Murakami is someone who I would highly recommend. Um, in terms of like the stuff that like I haven't read any King in about probably like shortly after the pandemic started, I read Carrie. And that is the only book of his that I've read recently. And I kind of am sort of jonesing to get into another King book. And um, I know you've probably got a few that you've, you've knocked off recently. I don't remember if, if you told me that or not. I think that, no. did you read that? Did you read fairy tale? I have one? it on my nightstand. I started it and set it aside. I don't remember why I got distracted and went on to something else. Um, yeah. So it's, interesting you mentioned king because i have been reading a horror to start the year so we've talked about him before i have become a big fan of stephen graham jones yes and and i started with the only good indians and now we're we're into a trilogy and we're into the second one and i finished it recently so the first one is called my heart is a chainsaw the second one's called don't fear the reaper all about slashers and Mm -hmm. i'm not a slasher fan I'm really not, um, you know, while everybody else was into Friday the 13th and, uh, Freddy Krueger and those films, I was into Lovecraft. I was still into vampire movies. I was still into monsters. So for me to get into slashers takes a lot. And there's another author that I have discovered, like discovered just like Columbus discovered America, uh, is a guy named Grady (laughs) Hendrix. And he's out oh, of yeah, sell- the, the, the haunted house book. What's that book called? That How to sell a out. haunted house. It's on order. Yeah. It'll be here in a few weeks. I just finished reading the final girl support group. And the first one of his, I read was something called the Southern book clubs guide to slaying vampires. And mm-hmm. what I like about Hendrix is his humor and his wit are fantastic. You are chuckling out loud while you read this book. And then he gets to the horror and you're like, Oh shit. Um, yeah. And then 
Um, on top of that, I had been meaning to read this book. It's out as a movie right now. We accidentally ended up with two copies. I don't know how this happened. The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. Yep. And you like Tremblay yep. because he's from your neck of the woods. He's a Boston guy. Well, yeah, he is. And actually, to be honest with you, that's the only book of his that I read. I read that a few years ago just before the pandemic, before I think they were even talking about it. How prophetic was that one scene, not to give any spoilers away, but the, the thing about the, the bird flu and all of that? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> That's very, true. very prophetic. And yeah, and like I said, I think I read that maybe I think I read it like January of 2020. So it was like right before everything shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's plenty of Boston references in the book. Um, of course, me being a Celtics fan, there's Celtics references in there. Sure, um, sure. I haven't seen the film yet. And I'm looking forward to it. I wanted to read the book first. It's 270 pages. Real quick read. I read yep. it. Read it in two nights. Enjoyed it. Um, it. It's kind of funny. It was one of those where it was not what I expected, but it was the the exact thing I expected all at the same time. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And I think I um, I liked the book. Um, I liked I liked it a lot. And I think one of the things that I, that sort of turned me off a little bit, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the book, is, you know, I'm a big audiobook guy, and a lot of times I'll read a book and listen to the audiobook like back and forth, just you know, because of my commute and stuff like that. Sure. And I thought the I thought the audiobook narration was awful, oh. so that 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 <laughs> kind of tends to yeah, sort that'd of ruin unfairly it. color your assessment. Sure. Of the book, but it it wasn't it wasn't the author's fault. Um, I thought it was good. I mean, I you know, I like good a good, uh, you know, home invasion story. And of course this was sort of paired with sort of a, you know, an apocalyptic, um, subplot or whatever you want to call it. So I thought it was good. And, and I haven't read anything else by this guy, but, um, he's an award winning author, Bram Stoker award, and he's on the board for the big science fiction award. So Paul's been around a while. And you know what I've, I've found is, and I follow a lot of these folks on Twitter and we'll talk about Twitter a little bit later because, Elon Musk is doing some really bad things to it. Um, But, uh, you know, all these guys are friends. Stephen Graham Jones, Paul Tremblay, Grady Hendrix, and a whole bunch of others. And they all come back to Sadie Hartman, Mother Horror. And when I, it's so funny when I read the acknowledgments in the back of these books and I see these authors are thanking people I follow on Twitter and that I followed for years. It kind of validates why I follow them in the first place. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, never mind that that I find, you know, a badge of honor that Darcy, the male girl from uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, follows me on Twitter. She's one of my, you know, oh. big gets. Uh, nice. Yeah, right there with Tony Todd, um, Candyman himself. But, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's interesting because it, it really is an interesting community. I'm still sitting on the sidelines in that community because I, I've not had like any major commercial success, but it's really right. interesting. You know, they all go to StokerCon together and meet up and I have yet to attend a StokerCon. So yeah. it's really interesting to see how all these folks um, tie together and get to know each other and, and, you know, either consult or inspire each other's work. Um, so I started a book called Mexican Gothic and I'm 70 pages in and I don't know if I'm going to finish it. I don't like mm-hmm. not finishing books I buy. Um, the author's style is very jarring and it meaning is, um, there's some weird grammar conventions 
There's mm. and 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 you know I'm thinking well a good editor would have fixed that. There's some poor word right. choice for certain descriptions. I'm like a good editor would have caught that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but the story intrigues me enough. I might go back to it. I'm reading. Um, the original scroll version of Jack Kerouac's On the Road Again. And I've read it once, and I've read the commercial released version once. But this, I didn't read the beginning, which is all the story about how Kerouac came to write the book in the first place. Uh-huh. And and some other scholarship about Kerouac and the beats and the book. Um, and I've learned quite a bit. I just wanted to get to the story. I didn't want to read all of that stuff. And I've watched enough documentaries on Jack and the Beats. And, sure. you know, he just uh, would have had a birthday uh, a couple of weeks ago. Would have been 101 uh-huh. had he not drank himself to death in 1969. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I find it interesting because we all have this misconception that Jack just sat down at a typewriter on Benzedrine and banged on the road out in three weeks. Mm-hmm. There's this whole lead up to it. All the notebooks he filled, all he visions of Cody he tried to turn in as on the road to Viking, uh, the publisher. So very interesting story about how on the road actually came to be a published novel. And uh, I'm glad I'm reading this part uh, this time around because I had no idea. And even the documentaries right. I've watched, The King of the Beats, What Happened to Kerouac, and a few other things. It don't go into that much detail about his process. So, I mean, we all have, right, right. we all have a process when we write. I'm um, sure you do when you when you write uh, music and book reviews and anything else sure. you set your mind to. I have a process when I write fiction or blog posts. Usually involves a lot of alcohol. <laughs> well, whatever works. Uh, um, whatever gets you there, right? Did you have you heard of this book called uh, this relatively new book called? Um, uh, what's it called? Um, I just had it written down here. Oh, uh, White Horse. No, who's that? Okay, guy? it's it's by um, I think I don't know if she's new or not, but her name is Erica Worth W U R T H, and I've seen the I've book. Heard of her? Yeah, I've seen the book in places. You know how you go to places where they they sell books, but they're not like a bookstore, and so like all of like the big hot books are there, and I keep seeing it there, and. It's got blurbs. It's got a really positive blurb on the back from Stephen Graham Jones. Uh-huh. So, and um, uh, and also the the author of Mexican Gothic also left a blurb, and it's supposedly like so. So I'll read you Stephen Graham Jones' blurb. It says it's metal to the end. It's Denver to the core. It's native without trying. There's ghosts. There's blood. There's roller coasters, and there's about a thousand cigarettes smoked. What else can you ask for in a novel? So I'm, it's sort of I'm, like a gothic urban horror with like a native native american sort of backdrop i am bookmarking the amazon page as we speak yeah it's it sounds it sounds interesting and it also sounds like it's right up your alley so um i'm I'm interested in fact when i saw the book i remember thinking to myself i bet jerry's read this but it sounds like you haven't um, no never heard i've heard of her but not that particular book um And uh, it's interesting. One of the things that I've been I've been watching, and you might find this interesting, especially since you and I are the same age. Um, there's a series of documentaries called uh, "Into the Darkness" or mm-hmm. "Enter the Darkness," and what it is is all about 1980s horror. 
And, you know, since we grew up in that blockbuster era, renting videos and all of that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, interviews, uh, luminaries and and filmmakers and actors uh, from that time, uh, including, you know, the Barbara Cramptons of the world and uh, the Stuart (laughs) Gordons who did, well, it's archival with Stuart Stuart Gordon because he passed away, but... Uh, a lot of, you know, John Carpenter, a lot of those folks, um, and talks about all the, there's three of them now. And these documentaries are some of the longest documentaries I've ever watched. And the third one was the best out of the three. And now they're going to do the nineties. And, uh, what's interesting is because there's a lot of films that you never heard of, but some of the people they interview are from the horror community. You know, they write blogs, they host podcasts and you get introduced to a whole new group of people. And, right. uh, you know, they spend a lot of time, uh, you know, interviewing uh, all kinds of folks. I don't like Eli Roth's uh, History of Horror series because he interviews the same people. It's Mick Garris. It's Greg Nicotero. It's all the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into this, when you get deep enough into this, they start really getting into some good interviews and introducing you to films that you either forgot about or you've never seen. And you're like, huh. And usually they're streaming on Tubi for free. So, right, right, right. You know, well, Tubi, Tubi has Tubi has ads though, right? Yes, but they're not as obnoxious as say Freevee, which used to be IMDb TV. Or oh, Freevee is the one I'm thinking of. Freevee is the one that has ads, and they basically show the same ad every single break. Yep, Tubi, (laughs) Tubi's got commercials too, but they're not as obnoxious and not as frequent as as Freevee or even Peacock when you do TV series on on there. But as far as Stephen King goes, of course, you brought him up and I'm going to talk about it because there's supposed to be a lot of Stephen King stuff coming up in the next year or two. Number one is the novel Holly, which is I am so looking forward to that because this is one of those rare recurring Stephen King characters that I know about and have followed the through line with Um, featured in the Mr. Mercedes series, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the... uh, the and the uh, Bill Hodges trilogy, uh, right. also in the Outsider, and the <laughs> novella collection. If it bleeds, okay. So now Holly's getting her own story, and I'm really looking forward to the story of Holly Gibney, and and what goes on there. We're supposed to get the new theatrical Salem's Lot, uh, okay. which has been pushed back a couple of times. So I don't know when that's coming out. There's going to be a new Welcome to Dairy series, which explores Pennywise's backstory. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What I'm looking forward to there is there's so much in the novel that, that has never made it to the film adaptations. And a lot of that is the story of the black spot, um, Mm -hmm. Mike being chased by Rodan from the Godzilla movies, uh, you know, and, and so many other, of the stories. And also I, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get there. I'd really like somebody to fix the adult stories, but this really tells a story about Derry's history. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't know when it's going to start. I think it's an HBO max thing. Uh, so hope, you know, there should be some production quality anyway. Uh, yeah. Right. Sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, trying to think what else is there? There was something else. Oh, um, there's a new Children of the Corn movie out, and I hear it sucks ass. Um, well, not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. Um, I mean, to to be honest with you, they all. I, I mean, I think the first one sucked, but it was campy and it was fun to watch. I mean, it was cheesy, but it was entertaining. 
Um, my complaint that was, about my, that one, not to cut you off, but my complaint about that one, it was great until the end scene with the bad special effects. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like the, like the Langoliers and the aliens eating the runway. Oh my God. And go back and read the novella. It's so much better. Yeah. And yeah. well, know. I mean, that's, well, it was a, it, but, um, it was a, wasn't it a short story? It was in a night- longer short story. Right, uh, it right. was in, um, the night shift, I think. Was no, that. no, no. It was later than night shift. It's in, uh, it's in the same one as uh, secret garden, secret window and, and the library. Oh, policeman. Oh, wait, wait. No, you're talking about, you're talking about Langoliers. I was talking yeah. about children of the corn. Oh yeah. Children of the corn is, is yeah, 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 yeah. No, Langoliers was in uh, four past midnight. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Good to remember uh, which that. I never read. I never read it. I, I, I've oh. seen, I've seen the, you know, the language that was a miniseries, right. Or something like that. Two part, two part TV two made part for TV thing. Um, and that's another thing where it was just like, it was bad. It, it was bad, but you know what it was, it's a, it's fun to just watch. It's like, like you hate watch it. You know what I mean? You watch it. Just, it's just, it's just, it's so, it's like a, it's got a mystery science theater like vibe. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, and Stephen King has a cameo in it. What was he thinking? He's got a cameo in everything. Um, and he likes everything too. Uh, he does like thing except for Kubrick's shining. Right. Which I <laughs> think is a brilliant film anyway. So. Well, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant film. And, and to be honest with you, I, if the reason he doesn't, he didn't like it was because it was too much of a departure from the novel. So be it. That's true. It is a big departure from the novel, but whatever. It's fucking I own the novel. I haven't read it yet. I I purposely, yeah, I purposely got it because I, I didn't have it and I didn't read it. It's on my Stephen King binge list. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Um, I did read Dr. Sleep. So, and I really like Dr. Sleep. And uh, if you watch the director's cut film, it's brilliant. The The theatrical release is okay. The director's cut is much better of Dr. Sleep. Um, yeah. And I, I, um, uh, you, you had mentioned a bunch of um, this book, Holly, where you're talking about recurring characters and, and a lot of the more recent books of his, and you, you rattled off a whole bunch of ones that I either have been meaning to read or I started um, including, um, uh, Mr. Mercedes, the first one I've, I've, I think I started that a long time ago and never got around to finishing it. And, um, uh, the outsider I've read, I've, I started that a few years ago and I got pretty far into it and I don't know why I stopped because I was really liking it. I mean, I thought it was really intense and I know that it was made into a HBO, uh, uh series and, um, and I heard that that was good, and I yes. I don't want to watch it until I've seen the read the book. So um, I've got some catching up to do, basically. Yeah, um, get past your Murakami stage here and and read some Stephen King. <laughs> um, no, because I read The Outsider, and it was funny because I read it at around the same time I read Michelle McNamara's "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," which is true crime. Yeah, yep, and yep. it's so funny because McNamara's book read like a mystery thriller, and King's read like a true crime book. And, oh, wow. you know, and then you get to the, like the halfway point of the outsider and then it, it becomes a, a typical Stephen King horror story. And I like uh-huh. the outsider. Uh, Jason Bateman was behind bringing that to the screen. He was a, a, a producer. An, or something. Yeah. And he starred in it. And, uh, you know, so, um, no, I really like the series. I like the book. Um, I only read Mr. Mercedes. I have not read the other two. I've seen the TV series. 
and I only watched season one because I want to read the other two books. And right, right. You know, so um, and then obviously the star, the guy who plays Bill Hodges, was just in Banshees of Inisherin with Colin Farrell, which was absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah. So yep. if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. I'm, um, I'm behind. On, I'm behind on my movies, but that's another. That's another. That's another subject. The, um, um, yeah, I think. I think the most recent king that i've read in terms of like publication not in terms of when i read it but but like the most recent book of his that i've read i hate to say this but i think it might be eleven twenty two sixty three. i think that might be the most recent book of his that i've the read most and i recent. know recent got it and yeah in other words the most the newest book of his right. from his publication um and i read that um read that years ago out. well yeah i mean i read it not to i read it I read a paperback version, so it wasn't brand new, but I probably read it in like, I don't know, 2014 or 2015 or something like that. And then I remember getting very excited about the miniseries and, and starting it. And I'm like, this sucks <laughs> <laughs> because, and I think it was because it was, it didn't really capture it. It, it wasn't a good um, interpretation. I thought, um, I think if I hadn't read the book, I might've given the series a try, but I was just so disappointed. So I just, I think I watched one episode and I was like, yeah, this isn't any good. Well, but, it's kind of funny you, you mentioned Carrie because I read it not too long after you did. And I read it for the first time yeah. and I love the film. I think, I think it's one of the best, if not the best adaptation of a Stephen King novel of all time. And Brian De Palma is absolutely brilliant in it as the director. Yep. Right. Um, but the thing I, I find interesting about the book was, was all the tributaries the you know the survivors who went on to write books or the excerpts from therapy sessions and yeah. the inquiry into what happened and and trying to explain why Carrie White had these telekinetic abilities and all this other stuff right. very very interesting sidebars subplots that never made it to the film and on top right. of that as destructive as Carrie White is in that movie she's even more destructive in the book sure I mean, yeah. more of that town was destroyed than De Palma depicted, and he depicted quite a bit. Sure, yeah, yeah, and 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 I think as a first novel, it was his first novel, right? Yeah, um, really strong for a first novel, I and, mean, and even experimental with with that technique. Sure, sure. And sure. his wife yeah. Tabitha saved it from the trash can. It was in a desk yeah. drawer, and yeah. you know he. Uh, uh, had thrown it in there. She dug it out and helped them write all the squishy girly bits. And, you know, here we have one of the, the greatest horror novels and movies ever made. And the crazy story about that is King was a teacher. He was broke. They had no mm -hmm. money. They couldn't yep. afford a landline telephone. He sells the book, which was fine. But then another publisher bought the mass market paperback rights for $400,000. And, you know, 1973, $400,000. Holy crap. What's that yeah. worth today? King's like, I quit everything. I'm going to write for the rest of my life. Um, and, and, you know, you as you do. And, as you do. And, and the rest is, as we say, history. So, um, and then Salem's Lot was the next one, which is one of my favorite novels by anybody. Um, uh -huh. and that was his tribute to Dracula and a career in, in a, uh, multiverse was, was born. So, you know, Salem's probably your favorite of his, you think? Which one? 
Salem's Lot is probably your favorite of his. It was until I finally read it. Yeah, it's probably my favorite. Just the sheer, like, you know, it's such a sprawling book. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it, it, it was probably the longest book I've ever read. Same. And, um, I think it took, I got, it took me about a month to get through it. Um, but I just loved the sort of complexity of it. And, and I love the whole idea of the kids and the adults and going back and forth. I mean, it just, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. I agree. And, and so there's a documentary that I don't know if you've seen. Uh, it was, uh, kind of on it was on something called Screambox for a while and i actually did a seven day trial to get it it's through bloody disgusting if you don't follow bloody disgusting mm-hmm. it's now widely available on different streaming services it's the making of the 1990 miniseries with tim curry as pennywise right it's right. absolutely brilliant it's one of the best documentaries of its type that i've ever seen and seth green i don't know what he did he sold his soul to the devil uh it made a pact with somebody that he doesn't age yeah and you know but it has interviews with everybody it has emily perkins it has uh even tim curry post stroke which you know it hurts to watch but you know he has some valuable insights even even in his in his state um but they had yeah they told the story of why they cast all these TV stars that were on all those sitcoms, you know, Harry Anderson and John Ritter and, yep. uh, and Venus, right. Venus flytrap and all those guys. Yep. And they told the story of why the adult story was so bad. It's because they changed directors. Oh, really? And okay. the second director wrote the script on the fly. Interesting. So go back, go watch that documentary. It's fantastic. Another documentary about horror films. I would horror, I would very much recommend. I don't know when it was made, but it came on my radar screen not that long ago. I'm a huge fan of the first few Alien films, and I do like Prometheus and, and Covenant. There's there's some films in between. They're absolute garbage, but the first two are absolute masterpieces. And this documentary called Memory tells the story of screenwriter Dan O'Bannon and he was the brains behind Alien. And okay. and he wrote it and it was all about, you know, how Ridley Scott became part of the project and how they did different things, uh how they filmed iconic scenes and the set design blah blah blah. Um I highly recommend that as well. It's called Memory. You can find it on any I think it's on Amazon Prime right now or Shutter. Okay. One of those two. All right. But check that out. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, <clears throat> excuse me, certain uh, TV series that are out right now. And I wanted to ask you if you have seen Perry Mason. You know what? It's funny. You were the person who has been sort of plugging that. And, you know, I think you're the only person I know who has been actively sort of like raving about it. And to be fair, I did start I did watch the first episode or I started to, and it was late at night and I was too tired to finish it. But I think it was very, it, it had a lot of potential. I remember thinking that it was just, you know, it's the, the whole idea of taking this sort of like what was initially sort of a hokey series and it's in original incarnation and sort of updating it to where it's sort of like this HBO level quality. And that was exactly what I got out of it. So I haven't really, 
followed through on it, but I did start it and was very impressed with what I saw. And last so. I checked, you liked film noir, and it's I do very like noir. noir. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's it's kind of like, um, uh, yeah, and the fact that it's sort of like it's it's you know the fact that HBO is is doing this, it's it's always a good sign. Because even if it's even if they do something that you you know isn't necessarily your cup of tea, you have to admire like what goes into it. You know, it's a, the production values are great, and um, I don't remember the name of the the actor who plays him, but but uh, you know, I, um, um, he was in the Americans. Um, anyway, you know the guy, the guy who plays Perry Mason, the, the guy. Um, he's the guy. <laughs> the guy. You know, he's just this but, guy, um, you know. And it's a. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, Matthew, I a, Matthew Rice, Matthew, right, right, and he's and, like he's uh, he's he's uh, he's like Welsh or something. He's not, yeah, uh, no. he's not American. And but Shay Wiggum's in it, and I really like Shay Wiggum. Shay uh, Wiggum is was in uh, Boardwalk Empire, Boardwalk right? Empire, yeah. and, and a lot of other things. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, he's fantastic. I, I like him. I'll watch almost anything Shay Wiggum is in. Chris Chalk is in it. I like him. John Lithgow was in the first season. Oh, that's right. Oh, so, yeah. Isn't he like um his boss or a lawyer? Yeah, or he's so Perry Mason starts off as an investigator for right an attorney, and yep, yep, yep. he gets embroiled in the, in this really high profile case. Um, and then now the second season, he's a full fledged attorney, and he's turning down criminal cases because of what happened uh, yep. in the first season. And now, what I like about it is they don't fear or back away from issues right so the current season two the two suspects are mexican um mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh like current issues woven in but that pumped pumped into the point where you're like oh god why are they doing this so a lot of lgbtq stuff <laughs> right right i mean but it's subtle most of the time uh but it's not done in a way where you're like Oh, they're just shoehorning this in because it's the topic of the day. It's part of no, it's weird. It's well natural. Done. It's really done. Yeah. Natural. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great way yeah. to put it. Um, so uh, the show is fantastic, and it, uh -huh. like you said, you you get that production quality. You look at the the set pieces. You look at the the <laughs> cinematography. It is an absolutely gorgeous show to watch. So yeah, and you said and you had mentioned Shea Wiggum, of course, is in Bordock Empire. I did get and maybe it's just because the time period is the same, but I did get a feeling it kind of reminded me a bit of of Boardwalk Empire. Another show that I got a couple seasons into and it was turned out to be such a huge commitment, it was hard for me to like stay on it. But I I will eventually finish that. So um, the funny thing, funny you mentioned that because I had watched everything but the last season. And I had started the last season and there were just too many flashbacks at the beginning. And I'm like, eh, you're not advancing the story. You're bothering me. Uh, get away from me. I don't want to watch this anymore. So I gave up on yeah. it. Not that long ago, I went back all the way to the beginning and binged it and finished it. And you need to yeah. go back and watch it. You need to finish it. How many seasons is it? Like five? Five or six seasons. And... Okay. It it just when you get to the very end, you're just like, oh damn. So when you when yeah. it all comes to a head and and you know all the storylines are played out and you get to the very very end, uh, it all makes sense. And um, I I would say pretty much everybody gets what they deserve in that show. Mm -hmm. 
which yeah. usually isn't very good. <laughs> well, the cast, what a great cast too. I mean, yeah. I, it, um, you know, Buscemi is, is, um, I forget the name of his character. Is he ba- Is that based on a real, a real it character? It is based on a, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, finally Steve Buscemi had a vehicle, right? Yeah. So, yeah. um, and you know, Kelly McDonald was brilliant in it. Wiggum, uh, everybody that they, they cast in the it, guy, right? The guy who played, um, Capone. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, God, you, God, you see, I have the internet at my disposal. Yeah. I just clicked he's, off he's IMDB, a, but we got intri- to, I can picture him in my head. And he was also in the Irishman. He played a mobster in the Irishman. Um, a really good actor. And he's, he's also, I think British, but, yep. um, he is. Weird. And you know, you'd think when we take nine months to do one of these fucking things, I'd be prepared. <laughs> right. Um, to research this. <laughs> yeah. So Michael Shannon's in it. Um, Michael Shannon, of course, Vincent Piazza, Stephen Graham plays, uh, Al Capone. Michael Stephen Kenneth Park. Williams is in it as Chalky White. Paul Sparks is in it. Who was in, um, uh, House of Cards, um, Michael Stuhlbarg, who I absolutely adore, plays Arnold Rothstein. Uh, right, Gretchen right, Maul's right. in it. Uh, she's Gretchen Maul is also has a small role in Perry Mason as Mason's estranged uh, ex-wife and okay. uh, and baby mama. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you know so many uh, like you said the the casting was fantastic, but it was great that Steve Buscemi, who played Nucky Thompson. Uh, yes um finally had a vehicle of his own you know he had a bit part in the sopranos we know him from countless movies uh he was a a standout in fargo um -hmm. you know so fantastic uh casting and i and i was glad i went back and finished it i was very happy for that and uh it, it was brilliant storytelling once you you know got to the very end of it and have you started um have you watched poker face no, I do not have Peacock right now. I didn't even realize okay. I was paying for Peacock at the time. I don't know if I believe in the Natasha Leone rehab tour, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because uh, she's a little wackadoodle. Um, well, she, her character is wackadoodle, um, so it's it's it fits. But it's um, <laughs> it's it's interesting. I, I started watching it because my my brother was up here a couple of weeks ago and he was raving about it, and I thought I'd give it a try and. I, I think it's about 10 episodes and I've, I've gone through eight of them already. And it's interesting because the show is present day, but it's a throwback to like, like Columbo. It's got this real mm. sort of like old school detective vibe. And she's I'll just and hate it, that. What's that? I'll just hate that. <laughs> yeah. It's totally not your thing. No, no, but it's, it's, it's mixed with a lot of humor. I, I, it took me a while to kind of like catch on to sort of like the vibe of the show, but then I got hooked and, um, it's, it's a, it's a fun watch. It's not something that's going to change your life, but I've been enjoying it. And we, we basically got Peacock when they took the office off Netflix. So that was our reason Peacock, but, um, and, and, you know, I don't like the ads, but it's, it's actually not, I think Peacock, it's like five bucks a month we're paying. It's nothing. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I was enjoying that. And, and I think since we last did the podcast, I, I also fell in love with, the bear. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Uh, the show about the, 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 sh- the restaurant in Chicago. Um, you've, you've probably heard of it. Maybe, maybe not, but definitely worth checking out. That's on Hulu. Angie uh, tends to watch all the food shows. So it's not, well, it's a drama. It's not oh. a, it's not a cooking show. Oh. <laughs> it's a, 
it's a it's a drama. Sounds like uh, a cooking show. No, no, no. But but it's about, the plot of the show is this this guy becomes like a gourmet chef in New York, and then his brother, who runs a sub shop in Chicago, um, commits suicide. So the the guy, the brother, moves to Chicago to kind of like whip the restaurant into Got shape. It. I've heard of uh, it. Now that you yeah. mention it, it's, it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not. I've not watched that. Um, it's a good, show. good cast too. I just um, finished really. Carnival Row. I don't know if you're familiar with Carnival Row on Amazon Prime. Uh, they decided that. I've heard uh, of it. Yeah, it, it's a long hiatus between uh, its two seasons. Now, this is kind of the opposite of Perry Mason in that they they took every current social justice issue you can think of and hit you in the face with a snow shovel with it. No subtlety. None. None. So there's discrimination. <laughs> there's, um, you know, violence toward the other. It, it's a fantasy thing, but um, crooked cops, um, just, you know, uh, geopolitical insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I watched the first season. The first season was more of a murder mystery, and I like that. In that environment, it was kind of interesting. Uh, Orlando Bloom, he was playing a, a detective, and uh, Cara Delevingne's in it. She plays—I don't know—she looks like a bug, uh, but uh, but she plays like a fairy, a pixie, or whatever. Um, and uh, I really liked it. There's some magic, some fantasy, but then it just turned into this—you know—social justice warrior type show, and that's all the second season was. I watched it to finish it to see how it was going to end. Uh, I'm I'm no poorer for it, but at the same time, I like subtlety with my storytelling. I like nuance. I don't want to be hit in the face with a shovel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's understandable. Um, and speaking of shows that 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 uh, that were not renewed or, or or that there was a long wait between seasons, um, kind of sucks about Mindhunter, huh? Oh my God, I'm so. Look, you know, very rarely have you and I like been, we're simpatico on a lot of things, but we're not in sync on when we're watching it, right? And right. I think it was you who got me into Mindhunter in the first place. Yeah, probably. Right. And then I, I, you know, not that long ago, in anticipation of a third season, I went back and binged it again. And yeah. I really, really wanted to see where it was going to go, where it, with the one guy, Bill, his son, the one who'd been part of the murder and in the garage. I wanted to see there was going to go. His wife left him. Right. I thought they dwelled on the Atlanta child murders way too much in that season, but it was set up for a third season. Exactly. And that was the thing. They were, they had all these like, um, sort of like this hint, these, uh, they were hinting at, um, covering, uh, beat, uh, BTK, BTK right. killer, and yeah. and so so it got all this got everyone anticipating like oh that's what's going to be covered in next season this is going to be great and they didn't have another season. Yeah, the BTK storyline was was the underpinning through the whole yeah. second yeah. season, yeah. and yeah. yeah, I thought the same thing because that was Dennis Rader, and you can't tell me it wasn't. Right. Um, and right. you know, I've seen plenty of documentaries. Uh, true crime about you know Ted Bundy and also the guy the the main guy that was really featured that started the whole thing the co-ed yep. killer yep. and you know it's really interesting how that entire program got going and you know the uh, the female character played by Anna Torv she's in HBO Max's The Last of Us 
and right. you know, she didn't last very long. Um, but she was also <laughs> the lead character in Fringe, which went sideways when it started doing this alternate universe bullshit. But, uh, you know, I really like Anna Torv and she was brilliant in Mindhunter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think what ended up happening was that like, I guess initially Fincher was sort of dragging his feet and then he expressed an interest in, in continuing it after all. And I think it, it, it just, the show is so uh, expensive and requires so many resources to do it right. And I don't think anybody had the time for it. Like he didn't have the time. He wanted to keep making movies. And I don't think that like, you know, they just decided in order to do it right, it would have required so much time and effort. And I think Fincher was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not doing this. Um, which is too bad because yeah, it was great. It was, it was compelling. It was like, I mean, I'm a huge David Fincher fan. So I'm kind of like, when I hear that he's doing a show, I'm like, okay, I'm there. I'm at least going to check it out. Um, and it definitely had his, you know, uh, uh, looking his fingerprints. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, he he does he does creepy crimes so well. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, there's Seven and Zodiac. I mean, that's that's his thing. And um, you know, if 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 he wasn't behind it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be good. Oh, so, God, no. um, it would have just been cheesy or whatever but uh but the casting yeah, was that, brilliant the guy who played the co-ed killer the guy who played charlie manson the guy who played oh, the cast the casting was great and the thing is is that it was all like character actors there were no big names um and and they didn't need them um so although you know i later found out that the guy the lead guy the jonathan groff apparently he's this big broadway guy which oh, I oh he was realize. in hamilton he was the king he was in hamilton he was king uh king um, george or whatever the hell um, yeah, you'll be back. He's that guy. And now he's in uh, Knock at the Cabin, the film version of The Cabin at the End of the World. He's in that. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he plays one of the dads. So, oh. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I, I will say this. David Batista, and I haven't even seen the movie, is miscast. He's just too old to play that part. And he's, been, he's one of the guys in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and, he, and he was in the new, uh, the 2049 Blade Runner. He was very, yep. very beginning of it. Um, he was in one of the, the Daniel Craig, James Bond films. No, okay. I think Dave can act. That's not the problem. I just. It's not, know, not right for the part. No, he's too old. He's the right size. If you remember Leonard from the book, he's huge. Uh, yep. But, you know, too old, wrong, like from the neck up, uh, just the look. But. Uh, freaking Rupert Grint is is the uh, the other male character, and talk about miscast! Holy crap! Ron Weasley, yeah, he plays the <laughs> he plays the homophobe. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I guess I haven't really been paying much attention. He plays the O'Bannon character. Okay, all right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Ron Weasley wielding a freaking homemade cudgel no i mean give him points for trying to like avoid stereotyping i don't know yeah play against type like like your boy john ham and baby driver (laughs) exactly (laughs) my god the the hair i remember the hair (laughs) brilliant movie that was you know i really i really want i mean and i love baby driver i think it's a great movie but 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 ham hasn't been doing great in terms of landing in some good movies he's a commercial actor now yeah 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 and he was in did you see uh did you see the fletch remake or not 
I watched 30 seconds of it and turned it off. Really? Was it bad? He, he can't. No. Okay. First of all, Chevy Chase is Fletch. And, and that, you know, that that's one of those uh, lightning in a bottle moments, right? Where yeah. you cast the right person in the right role. And, you know, for all the stuff that Chase has done, the, the Griswolds and, and some of the other stuff he's done in film, I mean, that was a character he really owned. And for somebody else to play that role and... I don't know if anybody could do it. I mean, Ham's a good actor. I I, I like the yeah. guy. I think he's he's great, but that just wasn't a role for him. And again, I watched it for five minutes, less than five minutes, and turned it off. I'm like, I can't. I, this I'll go back and watch the first two original Fletch movies, and yeah, you know. Um, but uh, no, Ham's and I like the fact he's in commercials and he's funny. Yeah. I mean, he did the whole progressive thing that little. Yeah. Uh, uh, romance thing with Flo, I thought was brilliant. And then, uh, you know, he's doing, doing another one, uh, you know, uh, interesting play on words, you know, ham and ham and cheese. He's with Brie Larson. Well, always, he was, he's been on SNL a couple of times and always hilarious. Um, he's, he's very, you know, he's got a great, he's very approachable. He's like a comedic guy, but, um, right. I don't know. I'm, I'd love to see him, you know, I would, I would love to see him be in like a Coen brothers thing or David Finch or something like that. I mean, he hasn't really done too many kind of high profile movies. Um, he was in, I mean, he was in the town and I thought he was good in that. Um, that was the, the bank robbery thing with yeah, Ben Affleck. One of the um, few Ben Affleck movies I like. Yeah. But, you know, um, well, I, well, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll... That guy. <laughs> I can't, okay. they're in a new movie, him and him and Matt Damon in, in a new movie about how, oh, about- Michael Jordan, you know, yeah, became developed his own shoe, right, with Nike. Right. But I can't. I, I'm not even. And Kevin Smith is still making Clerks movies. It's like just stop, okay? Just yeah, that's I don't get that. I, I, mean, I loved the original trilogy or four films or whatever it was. But when you get to a point in your career and that's all you can do, and you keep going back to that, just stop, yeah. right? It's Kevin Smith. His career went off the rails with Jilly, Jilly, or whatever the hell it was called with Jennifer Lopez and back in the day, and he never recovered from that. He's done a few you decent mean, things. You mean Affleck? But Kevin Smith was behind that. He did He did Jilly? Yeah, he did? It? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was just okay. like attempt at doing a straight movie that, that was outside the Jay and Silent Bob universe. Oh, I mean, I know that Affleck was in it. I didn't right. know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it no, it was. No, you're wrong. It Am wasn't. I? He, you are wrong. Um, you're not wrong often, but you are here. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll no, take that, that direct- as a compliment. It was intended to be. Um, no, that was directed by Martin Brest, who's like a veteran director. He directed like um, Beverly Hills Cop, and um, and oh, he, he directed Midnight Run. He's and a, then he turned a- in that turkey. Yeah. He didn't yeah. Alan Smithy that one? No, it's not, it's good. It's his name is on it. He wrote it, directed it, and produced it. And oh, I don't right. see Kevin Smith anywhere here. So you must I, be thinking of I think you're thinking of another he did something else. I, I, think I am like, thinking of something else. I have to that's be That's not uh, that's not the girl the one with the Chasing Amy. Is that what you're talking about? No, Chasing Amy was part of that Jane Silent Bob universe. That was one okay. of the good ones. Um yeah, that was a good film. And it was same time as Mall Rats and and Clerks and and they were all tied together. And uh, you know, but those were I I hate Ben Affleck, can't stand him. 
hate his Batman character. Um, he's one of the, the he's the worst Bruce Wayne of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't stand him. I, and it just you look at him and he's got a punchable face. <laughs> You're not a Goodwill Hunting fan. That's that's a different thing. Right. Yeah. That, that's it's a vehicle, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know what I liked? What was the one where he played the freaking autistic hitman? I, the accountant. I actually liked him in that. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. He didn't say much. That might be why I liked him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that's he Argo. does. He plays like, in aut- like Argo. Uh, I did like Argo, but it had nothing to do with him. I mean, I, you know, whatever. Uh, but that was a good well, he film. Corrected that. Was he in that? I don't remember. He was, he was in, in it, it. yeah. And uh, he was almost unrecognizable with the hair and the mustache and everything else. Right. <laughs> you know, but it was a good flick and it told a story I didn't know anything about. Yeah. You know, yeah. I actually learned something from that film, right? And, uh, he, you know. You get Alan Arkin, can't go wrong there. You know, right? good cat. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still wondering what this what this uh, Kevin Smith uh, mainstream movie is that you're talking about. I'm kind of like, you know, I got to, you know, here we go back to IMDb. (laughs) Jesus. What did we do before IMDb? That's the freaking question. Right. And then how is it that. You had to work at trivia contest. You couldn't like, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. You had to read books, books, which is that thing that we're telling everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we got Kevin Smith, uh, known for Clerks Chasing Amy. Dogma was the other one, which was really, really good. Um, I like Dogma. I like Chris Rock in that. He was good. Jersey Girl? Is that what you're talking That's about? That's what it was. Jersey That's right. He Girl. wanted it all, but he got more than he bargained for. Jersey Girl. I'm looking at That's the poster. That's oh, said. God. Um, oh, man. George Carlin's final on-screen film before his death. That's like Gene Hackman's last movie was Welcome to Mooseport. What a what a way to end the legacy. Way to, what a way to go, right? Um, well, and he and he retired because George Gene Hackman is like in his nineties, and he and he retired like twenty years ago, and that was the last movie he made. And I wonder if that movie was just like this movie sucks so much. I'm never making another movie again. Or if it just so happens that after that movie was made, he decided to retire. I'd like to think that it was the former. Or it was the end of a five film contract. He's like, peace. I'm out. I'm done. He's like, fuck you, Ray Romano. I'm out of here. So (laughs) Ray Romano's turned into quite the actor too. You think about somebody like Hackman though. I mean, the guy was just, you know, one of the best, Oh, you know, know. French connection. Uh, um, you know, Unforgiven and all that. Did you see um, the movie he did with Kevin Costner? No Way Out. No Way Out is one of my favorite movies. It's brilliant. Such a good, such a good movie. And and um, um, yeah, I mean, Enemy of the a, State. And you know, sure. but yeah, he'll always be Popeye Doyle from French Connection. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, the guy just chewed scenery every time he was on screen. And yeah, yeah he's absolutely a freaking brilliant actor. And uh, but yeah, he's uh, kind of resurfaced lately, and uh, people are, oh, he's not aging well. He's ninety five. <laughs> I know, right? I right. He's look at how horrible he looks. The dude's fucking ninety five. You want to cut him some slack? Oh, Jeez. I know. Oh, there was some sports figure uh, passed away. Um, Bud Grant. He used to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings football team, and uh, it was ninety five. And and the Minnesota Vikings put out a statement, and they were like, oh yeah. Uh, we are saddened and shocked that Bud Grant shocked. has passed away at the age of 95. 
Too soon. Shot. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't see it coming. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? You had him 25 years longer than you should have. Right. Just be glad you had any extra time. The way things are going, if Trump had anything to do it, we'd all be dead by where, you know, time we were 50. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, back to freaking uh, medieval times when cholera was a thing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, we got to talk about Twitter for, for a minute here. Speaking of that kind of thing, um, I keep getting these crazy ass notifications from, from Twitter. First, I got to remove two factor authentication for security. I'm like, are you kidding me? We got to, and all you can only have that if you're one of these, these blue checkmark people that, that pays your whatever per month. Then I get an email the other day that says, Oh, your account's not eligible for Twitter advertising anymore. I'm like, Okay, first of all, I'm an independent author, and when you look at your criteria, I don't see how I'm violating any policies or don't qualify. And it, it's it's all about who's paying him the eleven bucks a month or whatever it is. And now the new thing, if you he's going to get rid of all the legacy blue check marks, which is bullshit, but he now has come out and said, and they've said. You can hide your blue check mark if you want. If you're paying for it, you can hide it. So people don't know that you're a douchebag for paying eleven dollars a month. Right, right. <laughs> I, I am I am seriously, and I know I keep threatening it and and, and Angie keeps she's like, Yeah, you're full of shit. I am so close to walking away from Twitter, it's not funny. And I and I and I actually like the platform better than Facebook or anything else. I won't get on Discord and because Discord scares me. And Snapchat, mm-hmm. I've never understood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've tried TikTok. TikTok. I watch videos, but I don't create anything for it. Right, I, right, right. I, I, don't, I barely even follow anybody. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, um, yeah, and it seems like I end up watching the same five people's videos on TikTok anyway. Yeah, uh, right. The guy who does the dramatic readings of bad signage, um, <laughs> he's freaking hilarious. Um, you know, but I keep seeing people dancing to Michael Jackson songs. I'm like, I can't do that. I, it's another <laughs> one of those, those separate the artist from the art. I can't do it. Michael Jackson. I'll never listen to. I play thriller at Halloween and that's it. And right. Right. But, but Kevin Spacey, Kevin, out of all the people that have been canceled in the last few years, Kevin Spacey probably the one that bothers me the most because I was such a fan. Yeah, I was a fan, especially early on. I mean, uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't want to really get into the detail, this in great detail, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of American Beauty. I never liked that movie. No, I never cared for it either. Um, but I, you know, Usual Suspects. I mean, he had that run in the '90s where there was he Usual Suspects Seven, and um, I don't know if you ever saw Swimming with Sharks, which was a movie that he made with Frank Whaley, where he played like a boss from hell, and he was so good in that. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, he was in yep. that. Yep. I mean, he he had a great. I mean, he is a great actor. I mean, that's and another another one, and I'll get flack from everybody on this, but I'll I'll defend it anyway. As horrible a human being as he's become, I think James Woods was a great actor. I agree with you a hundred percent. And um, he was in a couple of my favorite movies. And, you know, John Carpenter's Vampires is one of my favorite films. And mm-hmm. I liked James Woods a lot. Yeah, and, and, great, a great actor, great committed actor. But then he became this, like, post-9-11, 
you know, conservative like freak. Conspiracy and, uh, nut. And I mean, he was in video, he was in Videodrome. I mean, he was in you know all in on Cronenberg. Uh, that's right he wasn't yeah he wasn't yeah and he was in uh it's that movie uh salvador and um uh oh shit why can't i think of anything else he was in a um goes to mississippi i thought he was good yep. in that i mean great actor yeah. great great and but, he's uh, around but, the bend right there with kevin sorbo and gina carano and all the other fuckwads and <laughs> you know i mean everybody was all upset Ooh, kirstie alley died goodbye okay yep. I'm, I'm gonna burn in hell for saying it but you know um yeah, I, you know, we spent, we spent what, two years of this podcast freaking railing on politics and I don't want to go back to it. Uh, it was a stressful time for both of us. Um, it, it's, it it's, it's PTSD. I, right. I experienced my political awakening. Um, right. but <laughs> you know, they, they keep complaining that, oh yeah, the left is intolerant. You know, you're supposed to be the ones of, of tolerance and, you know, we, we we just have a difference of opinion. No, you departed fucking reality. Yeah. We are not on the same right. plane of existence. Come back and we'll have a conversation. Right. But but until you realize that you we are not dealing with the same <laughs> deck of cards here. Yeah. Um, you like that deck of cards, the house of cards. You, you like that? Anyway. Yeah. They, uh, oh, I got that. Yeah. Like, it took me a minute to get there, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, come back to reality. We'll have a conversation like in the old days, like when right. we used to be able to, to debate and compromise and we all cared about the same thing, which was life, liberty and prosperity. Not, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and my kid's not wearing a dress. I, you right. know, I, the stuff that they make up just blows my mind. It goes back to what we started this entire conversation with. You're banning books about Rosa Parks for fuck's sake. What the hell yeah. is the matter with you? Right. That's right. And now, now the new one, what was the new one I saw? There was so, Oh yeah. Oh, uh, Dave. Is, yeah. The, Michelangelo's David now is pornography. Kiss my ass. <laughs> my entire ass. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't get art is pornography now. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you don't have to look at it either. And the problem, as small as David's penis is in that sculpture, is bigger than yours. So <laughs> shut up. Uh, you, you like these alcohol-fueled rants. You know it and you missed them. <laughs> of course. That's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, my God. I missed this. Anyway. Oh, you're listening to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm Jerry Knack, along with my good friend Chris Ingalls from the podcast studio, the Get the Knack podcast studio in Ocean Shores, Washington. You know, what I find interesting, and, I, and I'm sure I've got a, a short story in me about this, is that more people don't show up at other people's houses. These debates people get into on TikTok and Facebook and these other platforms – I'm surprised people just don't show up at somebody's house and be like, come on out, motherfucker, let's go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised it doesn't happen. I, I've kind of been waiting for it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to happen. I really no, don't. No, no, I don't think anybody wants that. No, but you get these freaking internet tough guys that sit there and go, yeah, let's go, come on, you know, threatening people. You know, we were having this conversation in my house the other day, and, and again, don't want to get too deep into the weeds on some of these issues, but I honestly think that there are more queer people and trans people in this world than 
anybody ever knew. Mm-hmm. And they finally have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I say it all the time, and I will say it again, and I maintain this. I don't have to understand it. I just have to accept your right to do whatever the hell you want. Right. Sure. Right. I'm no yep. I'm no biologist. I'm no, you know, endocrinologist. I don't know how this all works, but I do know that you're a human being and can do whatever the fuck you want. Nobody has the nobody should have the right to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely right. You know, you can you can go all Bob Vila and renovate your kitchen all you want. <laughs> well well in that case, fine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for the permission. Yeah, you're um, welcome. So, how is the house? It's good. It's good. It's you know, I mean, it's uh, um, the, the kitchen is basically done. It's like there's a couple of pieces of hardware that have been delayed that still need to come in, but we're using it, and it's um, it's great. It's like you know, we we didn't have a working kitchen for um, like whatever three months. And when we did have one before, it was outdated and just very awkward and, you know, very um, uh, not fun to be in. And so now we just have this, like, really beautiful kind of state-of-the-art thing, and it's great. So now we just have to spend the rest of our lives paying for it, basically. So, um, <laughs> How many burners I, does your stove have? That's what I want to know. Six. Okay, all right. We got six, too, so yeah. I was going to say. We get six we have this the, the the two middle ones there's this sort of like removable griddle that you can put on top of it so you can actually use it as like a griddle which is real cool <sighs> and it's a and it yeah well hey you know i haven't had state-of-the-art appliances as an adult in my house ever so just you know all right i, I got you this is the first time me, i've ever had anything to have more than four burners on it so <laughs> came with the house i mean we do have this fancy ass refrigerator we had to buy that you can actually see into the thing you know, mm-hmm. I'm waiting, you know, for, for Gozer to be in there, you know. Well, and all of our appliances, all of our appliances in the kitchen now are Wi-Fi uh, enabled. Oh, which Jesus is... Christ. Our our washer and dryer is. So Angie yeah. gets text messages. She could be out and about, right? She had a, a part-time job or she could be at the uh, the animal shelter. She'll text me to go freaking switch the laundry over. I'm like, yeah. how the fuck do you know? Because oh, she got a text message from the damn washing machine. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I had everything Wi-Fi. Right, and as as um, like the day after the kitchen was, we started using the kitchen again. I was I was home alone. I was home with Noah and Liza was out somewhere, and I preheated the oven. And I got a text from her said, "Did you pre-start the oven, or did (laughs) or did something happen with the Wi-Fi?" And I'm like, "Jesus." Okay. All right. We got to talk about this. All right. We, We. Freaking, this is going to be a two-hour podcast. We got to talk about this because this is fucking insane. All right? So, I am fully convinced that everything in this house is listening to me. All right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if they have Hess gas stations where you are. But I grew up with Hess gas stations. Uh-huh. And every Christmas, they would come out with a new toy you could buy. And it was usually a truck. Right, some kind of plastic toy truck. You put batteries in it, the headlights come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, I was asking last Christmas if Angie knew about this, if she had heard about this. She's like, no, no, I'm not familiar. So, I was telling her a story. Turn on the damn TV 
We do not have Hess gas stations here in the Pacific Northwest, but what's the fucking commercial on TV? Hess gas stations and this year's toy. <laughs> okay. So, right. so, uh, my, our friends, Cindy and Dan come over and they're cooking up razor clam fritters and whatever. And Dan and I, I've been trying to upgrade Dan's, uh, beer taste. Uh, and I'm, I think uh-huh. I'm, I think I'm succeeding. Uh, but okay. we, we get in this conversation about whiskey. All right. I'm like, you right. like whiskey or, you know, and, uh, cause I was going to, you know, pour a glass for him. And he's like, you know, I really like Pendleton. I like Pendleton rye. I'm like, oh, okay. So we wrap up the evening, they go home and I'm scrolling Facebook and there's a fucking ad for Pendleton rye whiskey on my damn feed. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. I've been there. Yep. And then Angie and I were talking about something. I don't even remember what it was. And within seconds on her TikTok feed, there's a commercial for the exact same thing we were just fucking talking about three seconds earlier. Right. It was almost yep. instantaneous. And we were just like, are you kidding me? Yep. Now, yep. I, I like well, to think I'm impervious to advertising, but still. Yeah. Well, as long as you're talking, it's it's going to find you. And I like having these devices around the house, right? I mean, I enjoy them. They play music. They tell me what the weather forecast is. And, and sure. they do timers and, and all this other stuff. And they we don't even use them for half of what you could do. Not even. I think we're like 10% what you can do with these stupid things. And they're all over the house. I like them. I enjoy them. But, oh, my God. It's just it's like it's like Minority Report when Tom Cruise gets the news eyes and he walks into freaking Gap. Oh, hi, Mr. Mirakami. How would you like to look at some khakis this time? Like, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where you're like, this is just, it's it's insipid is what it is. And But this is where we are. And if you want to live in this connected world that we're in, but I do find, even though I'm sitting here staring at my iMac and talking to you over this, you know, fancy device and my podcasting recording equipment and got all this stuff yep. around the house, I'm I'm retreating from technology. Mm-hmm. I think there's too much. AI scares the shit out of me, especially this new chat GPT thing they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I will never read a novel written by one of these fucking AI platforms. I just won't do it. Right, and you shouldn't. No, and my my comment as as a writer is writing comes from somewhere artificial intelligence will never reach. Sure. AI yeah. will never have my life experience. AI will never know what I've been through as a human being, and that's where my writing comes from. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But, yeah, have you had any uh, creepy experiences with, uh, with devices listening to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I do know for a fact that we've had situations where we'll have a conversation about something and then it's, you know, you know, and specifically talking about like, oh, we should, I really want to buy one of these things or, you know, we should, we should look into getting one. And then, yeah, you, you get an ad for it. It's, uh, I think it's, 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 you know, it's happening. That's, that's the way things are headed right now. Um, which is, it's creepy, it's scary. Um, and I understand that the idea of that is to provide, you know, get people to buy the stuff you're selling, but it's, uh, it doesn't make it any less uncomfortable for me. 
So it's yeah. intrusive is what it is. And it is. Yeah. And as much as they, they will tell you that there's no passive listening going on, they're all full of shit. Right. Because it has to be happening. These are, I mean, yeah, there are, I'm not one of these people who sits there and goes, I don't believe in coincidence. Well, there are coincidences in life. They do happen. But Mm -hmm. these things happen too frequently and, and within moments of each other to be coincidental. Right. Right. So... But yeah, it, it's again as long as it it stops at trying to sell me something, I, I got to be okay with it. When it gets weirder than that, and I don't know what weirder than that is, I'll know it when I experience it. But yeah, I uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. it no, it's... It, it's you know I I think the only time in recent memory that advertising got me at least consciously when we were still living in California, we were getting bombarded with these pizza hut ads, these pan pizza ads. And I hadn't had a pizza hut pan pizza in forever. And this thing kept coming on and I finally cracked. I told Angie, I said, we got to get a pizza hut pan pizza. And we did. And it was delicious. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you talk about something it's like you speak it into existence. Yep. You know, so anyway, what else is on your uh, to read pile that you're anxious to get to? I'm like I said, I'm reading Kerouac again. I kind of needed a palate cleanser after three straight horror novels. Um, uh-huh. You know, what I will say about the guys that I Tremblay didn't interact. He kind of did on Instagram, but not on Twitter. But I will say this about Stephen Graham Jones. I can be friends with that guy. He interacts on Twitter to a level that makes me even more of a fan. He he does not ignore you when you interact with him. Oh, that's and, nice. Yeah, and I and I know he's got thousands of fans, and mm-hmm. uh, you know he's got a busy life. But it seems like every time I've tweeted and included his at mention, whether it's directly to him or or indirectly. He has acknowledged in some way, whether it's a direct response to me or my tweet, or uh, at least just hitting the, the the heart button. And I really appreciate that. I'd like to think that, you know, had I achieved such, that I'd be the same way. And, yeah. You know, and Hen- Grady Hendrix has been a little bit, but uh, here and there, but but Jones has, has really done that. Um but I've, you know, I've been having trouble deciding what I'm going to read next. I might go back to Mexican Gothic. I might read more beat literature. Um, you know, I, I recently last year read The Women by Charles Bukowski, which completed that uh, kind of manufactured trilogy uh, right, between right. Post Office and Ham on Rye. Um, I really like uh, Bukowski's work. What's burning a hole in your TBR pile? You got to read next. Um. I, you know, it's funny. I actually um, bought uh, In Cold Blood not too long ago, which I've actually never read. Okay, so and, uh, you're in my head now because I've had the thought, really? I really need to read In Cold Blood. I've never read it, and, you know, it, it's funny because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's from my hometown of Roche- oh. Rochester, New York. So Okay. Uh, I don't know why it's come across my radar that the movie's been on some streaming services and I'm like, ah, I've never read the book. Eh, I need to. So it's funny. Yeah. Funny. You mentioned that. It's like, you've been listening to me. 
it's yeah exactly no that's um um that is on my pile i also um uh, I don't know. I have no idea if I'm going to enjoy it or not, but I did pick up uh, Good Omens, the Neil Gaiman, uh, mm. Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Um, which um, I read, uh, the only Neil Gaiman I've read is, so far is American Gods, and I really, really liked it a lot. I read it probably like 10 years ago. and I, um, So I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I'd like to get back into King. I'd like to... Um, um, you know, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll actually finish the stand. I did get about 300 pages into it last time I tried it. Um, but also, you know, as like what we talked about before is getting into some more recent King. Um, I really would love to do, I really love to get through the outsider. Um, did you ever read the Institute? No, I did not, but I read Billy Summers, which I really enjoyed. Uh huh. And there's and, a Overlook Hotel reference in that, even though it's okay. not a supernatural thriller, it's a right. different kind of thriller. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before. King can write whatever the hell he wants, uh, yeah. and and pick a genre and do well. He could probably do romance if he wanted to. Um, and you, um, and did you you read If It Bleeds, right? Yes, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's on the list. Did you? Well, you gotta you gotta read that, and then you gotta watch the film, Mister Harrigan's Phone. And okay. the kid who played Stuttering Bill in the new It movies, he is the main character opposite um, uh, Sutherland, Donald Sutherland, in Mr. Harrigan's phone. Okay. And what's funny was it inspired me to write a blog post um, when I read the story. I used to have an elderly next-door neighbor who took an interest in me and was kind of like a surrogate grandfather. Now... Okay. Um, you know, he didn't come back from the grave and kill people for me, but you know, you gotta, you gotta read the story. Um, but yeah, if it bleeds was really, really good out of the four novellas that are in it, there was one that I just didn't quite get. I probably go, need to go back and read it again. I feel like that's, I feel like when he does those books with the four novellas, there's always one that's like, eh, mm-hmm. that was the case with uh, different seasons. The, the only one that, um, wasn't made into a movie is the last one. I forget the name of it, but that one I didn't love. And then, um, uh, what was the, just after sun, no, just after sunset is a short story collection. He did a, he did one of those four novella books, maybe about 10 years ago. What the hell was the name of it? It was the one that had 1921 and then 1922 was, full dark, no stars, full dark, no stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. I, liked I enjoyed it. Full dark, no 1922 yeah. was made into a movie starring Thomas Jane, by the way. Right. And then there was, um. The, the one about the, the married couple, I forget what that one was called. Um, what, the one where, where dude's a serial killer? Yes. That was a terrible movie. I didn't read the story, but the movie was fucking awful. The movie the movie was good. I, 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 I You liked the movie, movie, really? No, no, I no, no. I, I meant, I misspoke. The no. story was oh, good. Okay. I actually haven't seen the movie. The movie's terrible. Um, You're not missing anything. It's so freaking okay. obvious, it's not funny. Like, you, okay. know, you know, and she finds his stash of trophies. It's like, okay. It's like when, <laughs> like when BT, BTK's family figured out he was a serial killer. It's like it's so obvious. Oh, a good marriage. That was the name yeah, of the story. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, yep. Um, and and uh, Big Driver, I think, was a really good story too. And a fair extension. I don't remember what that was about. Um, you know, Dolan's the- Cadillac was made into a movie starring Christian Slater. Oh, that's from uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, yes, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I've read a handful of the stories from that that collection, but I and that's one of them. I read that one, <coughs> and um, this one called Crouch End, which was about I think it was about like a haunted house or something. 
Yeah, um, I have Nightmares it. and Dreamscapes is huge. I uh, read it a mistaken. couple of years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely huge. I read the whole thing and only a few stories jump out at me. Um, okay. And there was actually a, a made-for-TV movie called Nightmares and Dreamscapes, but it wasn't just stories from that one. There were stories from Night Shift and some other uh, other books, and they actually brought Battleground to life. And Battleground is one of my favorite Stephen King stories because when I was a little boy, I used to play with Little Green Army Men. So to have a short story with a Little Green Army Men come to life and terrorize somebody was right. freaking fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, but as you mentioned uh, earlier, short story anthologies, I adore them. And Stephen King, in a lot of cases, his short stories are better than his novellas and novels. And Night Shift, to me, is one of the greatest things ever ever written. What I like is, so in Night Shift, there is a Salem's Lot story. And yes, right, then, right. Then there's, there's the book, the novel, and then there's another um, Salem's Lot story, which was adapted into a series called Chapel Wait with Adrian Brody a couple of years ago that I really liked. And um, I think that was on uh, Epics or one of those. Um, and I really, you know, if you piece it all together, there's three Salem's Lot stories. And if you read them in order or the supposed order, it, it just brings it all home. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But, um, you know, back to the whole thing about it. I'd like to read it again. I've only read it the one time. And like you, it took a, about a month. Um, yep. And that was reading a bit every night. That was, I yeah, think, yeah, I, think I took like one day off or two days off from, and, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to that, that, you know, Welcome to Dairy series. I thought the Castle Rock series was pretty good, but it supposedly wasn't canon. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, and the first season I didn't care for too much, um, cause I really, I don't like, like, uh, nonlinear storytelling. I have a real issue. My brain doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, but the second season was really good cause it was like Annie Wilkes' backstory. Like how Annie right, Wilkes right. got I heard to about be Annie Wilkes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, but, um. We got to talk about music because that is uh, a big part of your life has become a bigger part of my life than it has in a long, long time. You're listening to the get the neck podcast here on a Friday night. We're recording this one and I'm joined by Chris Ingalls, my old Navy buddy and, and really, really good friend. Uh, Chris, I really enjoy seeing the photos that you post of your album displays and i know you have a mm-hmm. really nice turntable my receiver uh shit the bed so i haven't been listening to any vinyl at all oh and that's not good yeah it's um i need a new receiver uh i've been i've been looking um we had this major storm and a power outage and it happened once before but i was able to get the receiver to start working again this time uh, i think it's dead for good and uh so I got nothing to plug my turntable into, but um, I love the photos that you post because you have quite the vinyl collection. And uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, I know you're a 
I know you're a, an aficionado when it comes to such things, but I know you, you've forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. I'll say that. And I'll say, you know, it's kind of funny. We were talking about the, at the top of the show, you know, I'm still playing stuff like School of Fish, um, you know, Belly, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going back to the, as much as the, the 80s stuff that I play, I'm still playing a lot of early 90s stuff. You know, I, I've been playing uh, Mary's Danish and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this stuff. We joke, but it's true. We used to program uh, NBS Keflavik like it was a college station. And I yeah. and I think about that and do a little little measure of that now with KOSW here in Ocean Shores. And, uh, you know, and I know you like experimental stuff and, and off-the-wall type mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But you have this ability to deconstruct music and understand it in a way I never will. It helps that you're a musician, even though you were part yeah. of a band called Pork Chop. Of course. Um, you know, but uh, what's going on musically with you? Um, not really much on the horizon right now, to be honest with you. I just, um, you know, this is hardly something new, but I did I did recently um, um, do a, a, a retrospective article on um, the final cut, which was the Pink Floyd album from 1983, which just turned 40, which was kind of an interesting thing to write about because it's, it's a bit of a controversial album um and uh, the band kind of sort of fell apart right after that so i did write that i haven't really <laughs> been doing much um recently um again a lot of stuff was like experimental like um um uh like this classical vocalist named stephanie lampria who's actually based here in boston and um this uh classical pianist who actually full disclosure is a friend of my wife's and i found out that she was coming out with this album and i'm like oh wow i'll review it and so i did so that was good her name is ann baldwin and um some stuff that i have on the horizon that um well you're getting the first glimpse of this because i haven't even pitched these yet so this is uh this is all brand new to everybody is um a new album from um a guy named dave scanlon who is a sort of um, indie sort of quasi experimental folk singer who's got an album coming out in April. Um, and, um, to be honest with you, it's just, like I said before, my, my, uh, job has been, it's been fine, but it's just been keeping me so busy that I've just like, it's kind of like my job involves writing to some extent. And it's like, I don't have quite as much inspiration to write because I do it for a living all day. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like it, it's been sort of on the back burner. A I bit. told you earlier, get out of my head. Yeah. I kind of right? have a similar problem. I, I've, you know, <clears throat> every time I've, I've, you know, been writing for a check, it's you know, personal fun just goes out the window. I, I haven't yeah. blogged, you know, anything original in a while. Um, yeah. I haven't written any fiction in a while. Same thing. Right. And, and I've got all kinds of fiction novel ideas and short story ideas. I just, you know, between the volunteerism and, and writing for a check, I really haven't had a, a chance to, you know, stretch those creative legs. I mean, look how long it's been since we did one of these fucking things. So, right. um, and, you know, how much I love doing it. So this, you know, this would be the seventh year of it. And uh, so. Right. If, sixth or i don't even remember now <laughs> sixth, seventh i think yeah because i remember we we started you started doing this 
um, it was the year of the 2016 election because I remember we talked a lot about that leading up to it, and like a lot of people were like, "Oh, Trump's not going to win," you know. But nippy. <laughs> then yeah. we started talking about tanks rolling through DC, right. uh, which still is a possibility. But no, um, we got to talk about this uh, since we're talking about music. I don't know if you've paid any attention to this. Uh, but Robert Smith of The Cure, obviously one of our favorite bands, uh, is taking on Ticketmaster and winning. Yeah. And yeah. if you recall, what was it, 30 years ago, Eddie Vedder tried the same thing and lost. Right. And got his dick slammed in the dirt pretty hard. But yeah. Robert, Robert Smith has come out and it's caused Bruce Springsteen fans to lose their shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, because you know, and I think that part of the issue with... Springsteen is that, you know, he's he's always been considered this sort of like champion of the working man and and people are shelling out, you know, four figures for for tickets for not even floor seats, I, I, I think. I mean, I could be wrong there, but I do know that the tickets are expensive and it's uh, yeah, I mean, I I posted an article that a friend of mine had written about um, that that he quoted fans you know, it wasn't just a once a one sided thing. There were, you know, long time hardcore fans who were like, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to see him anymore. I, I, I'm not I can't justify paying these 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 prices. So, I mean, and I don't know how Robert Smith did it, but he managed to basically get a bunch of I think the only thing that happened, like, I, I guess Ticketmaster did have to enforce certain fees, but. They he managed to subvert this whole dynamic pricing thing, which was the, I think the problem with with the Springsteen tickets. So uh, as a result, I think that people were paying a lot less for Cure tickets than than they would have if he hadn't intervened. And which I think is great. And, and I think the Cure tickets were low to begin with because Smith wants yes. the band to be accessible. They sure. were you're talking 1980s ticket prices, and sure. people were paying as much in fees as they were for the price of the ticket. Right, and exactly. like you said, with with Springsteen, it's either go to a show or pay your mortgage. Right, exactly. They were there were mortgage level prices. Yeah, and and, and like, again, yeah. that whole working class hero crap. Um, you know, I and I'm sorry, I'll go see the Cure before I'll go see Springsteen, regardless. Yeah, me too. Right, I mean, me too. I mean, but that's that's always where but my head has been, you know, going all the way back to the 80s, going back to the early 80s with Staring at the Sea. But, mm -hmm. you know, and which I play a lot of, I won't play Killing an Arab on my show, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll play just about everything else from that album. But, you know, it's um, it's kind of funny because that early 90s care I can't stand anymore that he was getting ready to get married, Robert Smith. <laughs> it's all this love song and pictures oh, of you bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we yeah. get back to the hang yourself music, please? Right, 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 right. <laughs> God. I liked you better when you were miserable. Right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can we get back to the head on the door and love cats and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and primary yeah. and all that? Create the walk. Mm -hmm. Please? God. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing about the cure is you, you forget. Uh, the musicianship those guys are freaking brilliant yeah and sure you know you you sit and kind of listen to them as you you play them on a radio show or dial them up on youtube or whatever you're like man these guys were really good yeah um, yeah you know but and uh, i was never and and to to be honest with you when at first i hate to admit this but when i and you and i may have talked about this already but a long time ago but when it first came out 
um, I was, wasn't a huge fan of uh, disintegration. I didn't love that album when I first heard it and it got all these, you know, people were just like fawning over it. And then I kind of rediscovered it maybe five, six years ago. And I, I, it's really good. I mean, it's a fantastic yes, album. Is. Um, it I was sure in Diego is. Garcia when that album came out. I remember it was one of those albums that like takes me back to a specific place in time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was. And I probably played it on the radio there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that that was i think that was the last album that i really like paid a lot of attention to i mean i know that they keep they kept cranking out albums but that was the one that was near the that one i really loved head on the door is probably one of my favorites and right. um you know head on the door was was just like and that was about the time that i discovered them i think was when that album came out i, I kind of came to them a little bit late but um so yeah so it's funny i'm embarrassed to admit this um, and I, and I admitted it live on the air on my radio show, but as big a joy division and new order fan that I am, I, I just learned this recently. So love will tear us apart. I always thought was about, you know, that 24 hour party people time, uh, yep. you know, when, when, when Ian Curtis was cheating on his wife and hemming and hawing about coming to the U S on a tour. And, and he finally hanged himself. I always thought it was about that. No, it's a fuck you to the captain and Tennille. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a counter to love. will keep us together. That's right. it's, an, it's what they call an answer song. Yes. I had, it's a, it's a diss track. It's a, <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's funny. No, I never really. I had no idea. I yes, didn't, didn't. go look it up. Go Google it, yeah. as they say. Let me Google that, that for you. That's uh, funny. Yes, it is. It, you know, I mean, freaking Peter Hook needs to just get over himself and and give Bernard Sumner a call and get back together before they all get inducted into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, we got to talk about this. We get. Oh, here we go with the debate again. Oh, Jesus Christ. All the freaking bands that are nominated. I think what Eminem's nominated, right? Um, It's the same debate over and over and over and over again, all over social media when these nominations come out. I mean, you saw Dolly Parton fought it, and it's like, Dolly, stop, right? It's, (laughs) I love you, but stop. It's, it's an idea. You know what kills me? It's the up yours generation that has a problem with this. Yeah. I don't understand that. You, those of all people, the baby boomers should understand that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame symbolizes a fuck you attitude, not not a, a strict definition of a genre. Yeah, right. And and we're back to this again. Oh, that person shouldn't be nominated. That person shouldn't be in there. Oh, all these other people. I know you're a Warren Zevon fan. I know. I, but you know, and and yeah. yes, he should be in there and should have been in there a long time ago. And you yeah. know, just just like a lot of sports Hall of Fames that that you know some folks may have gotten forgotten or swept under the rug. They try to make it right and and trot out all these these old heads and induct them in. Um. Same thing with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's a lot of people who belong in there that are not there. But the folks who sit there, well, they shouldn't be in there. That's not real rock and roll. Well, fuck off. Right. Why don't they just call it the Rap Hall of Fame? Or or just the Music Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I, and and I, and I stand by one of the one of the things that I like to say about that is is the fact that, you know, when people say, well, why is Whitney Houston in the Rock Hall of Fame? She's a pop singer, and and then you say, well. Do you have a problem with Aretha Franklin being the Rock and Roll of Fame? Oh no, she's great. Well, it's the same. That's because you grew up with that, 
so you are ex- quicker to accept it. You know, I think that there's a lot of biases based on based on personal taste. I think, sure. and you know, it's like, well, that doesn't, you know, that's not the same thing. Well, it is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Whitney Houston was not a rock singer, but you know what? Neither was Aretha Franklin. You know, neither was Otis Redding. He wasn't rock. I mean, by your definition, so you know, it's okay for the these people from like the '60s to be in there because that was, you know, that was good music back then or whatever. I mean, it's, it's all about people's personal tastes and their biases and everything like that. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I as time goes on, I get less and less, I, I give less and less a shit of this as, uh, uh, as time goes on, because it's just like, they're going to, people are going to keep making the same arguments and it's like, no one's, it's, it's like, it's, you know, it's like talking to a wall, you know, it's, it's exhausting. Like it's exhausting. And it's just like, you know, either you're okay with it or you're not. And, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's harder to kind of like, um, you know, this is, it's not about statistics. It's not like I would, I would assume that sports halls of fame are based on, you know, baseball hall of fame. I would imagine batting averages, things like that. I it's mean, a you big can't... part of it. It's yeah. not everything. And, yeah. It's, 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 it's where it starts. Yes. And you can't do the one thing that you can base statistics that you have for music are like sales and you can't use that in this case. No. Otherwise Justin Bieber would be in the hall of fame and you know, uh, you know, someone else wouldn't, um, I, I'm, I'm blanking like, like Warren Zevon wouldn't be, I mean, he's not now, but right. you'd be, be basing it off of billboard, but yeah. then from a certain date to today, you got to go off of downloads and streams and, and yeah. everything else. So it, you know, with the advent of Napster yeah. and, and beyond, it becomes this nebulous thing. You yeah. can't, you can't quantify it. Right. But I mean, even, even if there was an accurate way to represent that kind of thing, sales, no matter how they're measured, shouldn't be the barometer of this because there's no. plenty of people who made a shitload of, sold a shitload of records whose music frankly sucks. And <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> hey, Macarena. You know, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want those assholes in the rock and roll no. hall of fame because they would be if you're counting that. So, right. Anyway, but it's, a, it's different. Art is different. It's, I don't it's, get credit it's, for the Macarena reference. Okay. And I acknowledged it. That's a perfect yeah, yeah. example. Well, here, and, and we talk about this all the time. You and I have for years. It's cultural impact. Yeah, right? This is why Public impact, Enemy exactly. is in there. This is why the Beastie Boys are in there. This is why, you know, all these different artists are, are in there um, that weren't technically rock and roll. I mean, yeah. because to me, rock and roll is an attitude. It's a, it, it's yeah. not, it's not a genre. It's, it's right. a, it's a, I can't find the words for it, but it's not a genre. That's all I know. And, right. you know, we, we, I, you talk about, you know, we talk about books and movies and TV and you talk about different genres and, you know, the thing about rock and roll is, it was never it was never meant to be a genre it was it's counterculture it's you know as much as i i and you're not supposed to talk about such things but as much as i like to think of myself as an extended member of the beat generation it's like you know it's part of a a movement or a a middle finger in the face of convention you know i wish my middle finger was bigger but you know I, i i you know, make my, my noise the way I make my noise. I, I make noise with music. I, 
you know, mm-hmm. in this podcast and my blog, yeah. and, you know, but, um, you know, others have made it with, with, you know, mass commercial success, which eludes me, but whatever. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I say what I have to say and on the platforms that I'm, I'm comfortable with. And, but to me, the debate continues to rage on and I, it, and to me, you say bias. I, I go even further with that. It's racism. It's flat out racism. It's you oh know, sure, yeah. You know, you see a yeah. rap artist that gets nominated and put in. It's like, oh, they don't belong. That's not rock and roll. Well, who are you to say what rock and roll is? Why are you the gatekeeper? Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I specifically went with my buddy John Paul to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland to see the Beastie Boys display. That's right. why we went. I mean, everything else was great, and it was great to see all these other, you know, artifacts and artists enshrined there. But that's why we were – that was the whole reason for going. Right. Because a group we were, you know, fans of as high schoolers that, that you know, again, it's back to that cultural impact. It's back to the attitude. It's back to, you know, counterculture and – uh, fuck the establishment and all that stuff. And that's never been more important than it is right now. That's right. So, you know, it's just, I, I don't, you know, the kids, the kids today, I don't know what, I know what they're, they're railing against and I know what they're fighting for, but oh, the more things change, they never said, the more things change, they, they stay the same. I, right. Yeah. You know, but, Oh, we've been going on and on for almost two hours. Chris has been great. I'm having I'm having a blast. We got to do this more. Yeah, often. <laughs> I guess we'll call this the season premiere. Yeah, we'll do it more often, if only to uh, to cut them down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you complaining? We haven't talked no, no, in nine no. I mean, months. I mean, except for social media posts. Here, but... No, I know you're you're kind of a geographic bachelor tonight. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's. Uh, no, it's kind of funny because because being back on the radio again, as much as I love it, it's kind of you know cut into the old free time, and uh, sure. you know I, I get to shoot my mouth off on a microphone. Let's see, three, five, eight hours a week, um, and uh, it's so funny. I, I I remember hosting vintage vinyl rock from from noon to one in Keflavik and. We used to do after midnight and all that. I was telling somebody a, a Tina Jones story the other day, <laughs> and uh, you know you're in the air. You're in the air. Yep. Bob has an inflatable. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back on the air, and you know, I mean, you know, sports talk is great because, it, unlike when I first started it, and I talked to Pat Malone on the regular. Um, but I didn't have the contacts then that I have now, right? 20 years working in pro sports. I have all kinds of uh, media contacts and I've had a lot of my good friends on the show and uh, people who write for different publications around the country from California to New York. I've had people on and it's great. Um, yeah. You know, but, but the funny thing is to be, to spin music to, and I say spin, it's a fucking computer. Um, and you know it's kind of funny doing the using software to do what I'm doing. I miss uh-huh. the turntables, the CDs, the carts, and the reel, the reel. I I know, right? 
Ray, I, I didn't think I hated myself that much, but I missed, <laughs> I missed that because you had more control over the mix. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, Absolutely. you know, your segues were tighter and, and that kind of thing, but you know, it's funny because rather than Charlie tuna and Casey Kasem, now, now it's podcast. There's a, there's a great show. If you, uh, are interested in such things i encourage you to hunt it down it's called radio survivor okay and, and we air it every saturday morning before sports talk and it's a radio show it's a podcast but it it talks about the love of radio and and how radio has evolved into podcasting and some other things but oh, okay but um it's it's almost like an npr style show Right, and uh, they have all kinds of guests on and talk about radio and and how it evolved over time and where it is today and that kind of thing. So, I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, it's called Radio Survivor, and for those of us you know whose first love was radio, and the whole reason why this podcast exists is because my first love is radio. It's a great show. Yeah, that's great. What was your uh, your old podcast called? I can never remember the exact name. Oh, of it. Supersonic Time Machine. Why did you ever stop doing that? Was it a time um, thing? Well, uh, I started doing. I stopped doing it. Well, I couldn't find the time to do it. It was hard to set aside the time to do it, and then I stopped doing it for good around the time that I started writing for Pop Matters. Because basically, when I started writing for Pop Matters, I'm like, that was the sort of like fun music related thing that I could spend my time with. I couldn't do both of them. And the pop matters thing was a lot more appealing to me because I could reach a wider audience. And it was just, it was just, I don't know. I, I didn't really, I lost my interest in doing the other thing. And then pop matters just seemed to be a lot more fun. That was basically it. Gotcha. Well, you're going to have to, we're going to have to figure it out some Saturday night. I know it's late for you, but some Saturday night we're going to have to figure out and you're going to have to call in to get the knack, the radio show from seven, yeah. from seven to 10 PM on KOSW 91.3 FM, the sound of the shores and, and talk classic alternative with me. We'll have to do it. We got to set it up. Sure. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll craft the playlist ahead of time and we'll talk about that music and what it means to us and, and why sure. it's important. And, and we'll do a whole show around it. Let's do it. Let's set it up. You're on. All right. That sounds good. Well, Chris, anything you want to add to this? Uh, I guess we'll call it the season premiere, the 2023 season premiere of the Get the Knack podcast. Anything else you want to add? No, no, it's been uh, it's been fun uh, catching up, and um, you know, looking forward to getting back to doing this on a on a more regular basis. Obviously, agreed. And, and you know, the ultimate compliment I got when we first started doing it. Um, and when it became more of a regular thing was when people would listen to me and you, they always said it was like, I'm listening in on a conversation between two old buddies on the phone. And, sure. I, and I think that's the best way to describe it. And, you know, last year, um, I had some fantastic guests and, um, you know, I have, I had movie critics and, and writers and all kinds of folks on and, uh, you know, I want to kind of get back to that and obviously have you on on a regular basis to talk pop culture because because, you know, books, movies, music, you know, that is part of the fabric of who you and I are and sure. part of why we're friends. So, um, you know, 
I gotta, I gotta get you to come around the sports. You know a little more terminology nowadays than you used to, which is if we're, it's refreshing. It's good to hear. Well, I know words, but I don't know what they mean. Right. Well, you dropped batting averages a little while ago, so yeah. That, that and I think impressive. I have a basic understanding of what that means, but that's even that's a stretch. It's how often you hit the ball. That's yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. and you know, and hit safely, not get out. Yeah, there you so, go. But we got to get you to, to football and basketball, especially you know with the Celtics. The last couple of years have been so good. You know, we got to get How you into that, basketball. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? Right. Well, they've been well, building toward it for for a while now, but uh, hopefully this year is the year they break through and win the championship. So that'll make me very very happy. But doesn't that make me a fair weather fan? If I were to jump on that bandwagon, no, no, it makes you a new fan. Okay. Right. Right. Fair enough. Right, because you've never been a sports guy, so you know. I never have, much to the chagrin of my late father. You know, he didn't. It's it's how we're all raised. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman because my father wasn't into those things. But see, my father was into sports, but I don't know. It was just, um, it just for some reason it didn't click with me. It clicked with my brother, um, and just with me, I just I don't know. I I think it was kind of like. I sort of, I, I, I always had it, it, it was always um, um, associated with, I, th- I think I know what it was. So I hated, like when I was a kid, I hated gym class because I didn't understand like how certain game, I didn't really understand the rules of certain games. and I wasn't really very good at it. So there was this whole thing of being embarrassed in school and stuff like that. And so I think it kind of like planted the seed where it was just like, this isn't for me. And it carried over to the idea of just watching it, even just watching it was something that was kind of like, uh, you know, it reminds me of like the fact that I don't know how to kick a ball or something like that. You know what I mean? I think it's, yeah. I think there's, there's something sort of psychological about it, not to get too, too deep into this, but, um, that might be it. But, um, again, I grew up, like I said, my father was like, my father was like a real jock. I mean, he was like, when he was in the Navy in the fifties, he was on his ship's baseball team and, and they used to play like all the other ships in, in like Norfolk and stuff like that. And he seriously considered it as a career. That's how good he was. Hmm. Um, so he was always like really into it and he was a very big, and, and he was also like, you know, later in life, he got very, very, very much into, uh, golf, which is something that I attempted, but, um, I don't know that seems, it seems kind of like that was, I don't know. I, I started playing that when I was a teenager and it's just like it requires way too much patience that teenagers really don't have. So, you know what I mean? It's well, like, and you had a different upbringing than a lot of people did too. So you lived overseas, yeah. and you know, sure. yeah. I mean, my dad was a, like a high school sports hero. So yeah, uh, and he played college basketball, and you know, it was it was part of my upbringing, but. He didn't sure. hunt or fish, so I was never a hunter or a fisherman. So, right. you know, that kind of thing. But um, the thing is, you, you can still learn it. It's possible, um, yeah. you know, if you have the desire. But if you don't, that's okay, too. Yeah. I mean, I think if I were to do it all over again, it would be easy for me to kind of start as a kid because that's kind of when everybody starts. And it's sort sure. of like it's everyone's equal at the beginning. But it was just like, I don't know, I didn't, I, I had this fear of like not being good at it, even at an early age when nobody was really all that good at it. 
And so I just kind of like said, yeah, fuck it. This isn't for me. And then, um, and then I'm like, Oh, what are these things? Oh, these are records. Okay. I'll listen to these, you know? And then that became the thing. But, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I remember Tom Petty telling the story about his father and his father wanted Petty to be a sports star. And when he wasn't, yeah. he accused him of being gay and all this other stuff. He was ostracized for it, for yeah. for leaning toward music and, and being more creative. So, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting that your dad was a jock and a sports guy oh, and you didn't was, turn into one. Yeah. But right. at the same time, there's nothing wrong with it either. So, right. you know, there are plenty of people in this world that never got into sports ball. Um, <laughs> you know, so as you do, as you do. Um, but, you know, I mean, it also it, it's about where you grew up and, and how you grew up. I mean, we were always playing something in the park or in the street or in the yard or in the driveway, basketball, football. You know, we made up our own games. Uh, so it just, it just all depends on, on what you gravitated toward. So, you know, um, but we are up against two hours. So that, that <laughs> uh, good thing I got the unlimited hosting plan on SoundCloud. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I never got rid of it. So it's been about nine months. So Chris, it's been great. Let's do it more often. Let's, uh, let's kick it off again and, and keep it going here on the Get to Knack podcast. So for my good friend and old Navy buddy, Chris Ingalls, I have been Jerry Knack. We'll catch you on the flip side on the next Get to Knack podcast.